When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Since the beginning of human life, we've been getting sick. Plagues and epidemics have run through populations with obvious ones like the Black Plague knocking off huge swaths of the population. But even with modern technology, we fall victim to outbreaks of disease. In the late 20th century, the largest waterborne disease epidemic in United States history struck, known as the Milwaukee Cryptosporidium outbreak of 1993. Let's learn about it today on the Gems of History podcast. It is very, very funny that medical terms still use their, like, the Latin version yeah. for most of this. It's like, grow up. Well, in every source that I found, it's like, the Milwaukeeans just call it crypto outbreak. I'm like, I, I get it. I understand. And then someone random is like, iron hands, or whatever that crypto <laughs> yeah, phrase, or exactly. diamond hands. Diamond hands. Yeah, diamond yeah. hands. Yeah, diamond like, hold the line. Diamond hand the diseases. Yeah, hold the line. Yeah, like, okay, we're talking about GameStop here. Very <laughs> funny that crypto was in the 90s referred to because it was making people shit their pants. Do you and think that someone, like someone our grandfather's age in Milwaukee, literally oh yeah <laughs> when they first heard about crypto as a financial currency they're like you mean the thing that makes you poop <laughs> <laughs> i remember back in my day we yeah. had crypto back in the 90s very <laughs> very funny how words evolve into new things as we go oh all the time like i was talking to someone about how i am so far behind on like all of the modern slang terms now like i just learned what riz is oh i've 100% been out on slang for a long time. I think the last slang term that I consumed, it was uh, chuggy. What is that? Exactly. I've never heard of that like, one. I, I heard it sounds it. like a, sl- a slur. I know. Like, I just insult Yeah. <laughs> no, I just heard the slang term. I'm like, I have no, I don't want to learn what that is. I'm out on it. So you don't know what it is? I believe it means it's another word for I, I truly have no idea. Okay. Yeah, I've I never even no heard idea. of that one. But yeah, I'm 100% out on any slang other than, I think the last thing I use consistently, like, oh, swag. <laughs> <laughs> like in 2012, but turn my swag on by I, one on, soldier boy. I, I unironically started using bussin <laughs> as one of my terms, but apparently now that's out of date. Well, so. if we count like the vibes, or like the vibes are high, the vibes. vibes are immaculate, we, me and you yeah. in particular use that an unreal amount oh yeah speaking of vibes welcome to the gems hey, of history podcast everybody spe- speaking we're of back chuggy. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of chuggy maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh we're back baby we were gone for two weeks technically we had an episode with our friends in a work in progress which hopefully you guys enjoyed if you listen to that one uh and if you did enjoy it go support them they really do deserve the support they're awesome guys 
But uh, yeah, we're back. We had a lot going on. Well, I had oh, yeah. a lot going on. Evan and I both had a lot going on this past weekend. Our good buddy and friend of the podcast, who you guys have heard if you've listened to some of the older episodes, Austin Keezen, got married this weekend, this past Ooh. weekend. Congratulations to him and his beautiful wife, Caitlin. Snap, snap, snaps. Yeah, it was amazing. It wedding. was, yeah. It's it was those- hot, though. <laughs> I almost died. <laughs> yeah, standing outside in those suits. Yeah, Ooh. just standing there, like focus on the grass. <laughs> you had don't, it harder than I did because I was look just up. in the back. <laughs> oh, yeah. That'd be very funny. I'm just looking in the back, and you're just slowly drinking a water, just ice cold or a beer out of a frosted mug. Not like breaking eye contact with you the whole yeah. time. <laughs> it's like the scene in SpongeBob where he's like, oh, in the, yeah. he's in the dome. Uh, water. But yeah, it was a. It's been a very fun two weeks, and just. Getting to participate, or I guess be a part of another podcast for the first time. Yeah. If you want to break that down a little bit, I think it was, I think the episode was absolutely great. I loved it. Like, I've listened back to it, I think, like, one and a half times. Yeah. Just because, like, the conversations are very, very fun and really, I mean, a work in progress. Those folks, absolutely tremendous. Can't be a bigger fan of them. But you also miss some of the things on the video. Yeah. Like watching the video. Yeah, the video is so it. fun. <laughs> and just how, whenever I talked to Peter, like I had this weird like side look. So I was trying to stick my face in the microphone so they could hear me, but talk to Peter. So it just looked like I had the biggest chin. It's like, this is why we stick to an audio medium. <laughs> exactly. Yep. I had it kind of nice because I could just look at everyone pretty easily. So right, I, my right. job wasn't too hard. But, but yeah, maybe we just need to dive into uh, dinosaurs and the origins of them. Maybe might have was to happen. something. <laughs> but yeah, that was it. Was honestly a blast getting to do something that we don't do here, mm-hmm. like just off the cuff talking, riffing for like an entire episode. We do it for parts of our episodes, but yeah, it was. It, I was kind of out of my element a little bit. Yeah, we do at the start of every episode, usually just waiting for you to say "speaking of" yeah, exactly. <laughs> and diving into it. I have all the power here. Yes. Yes. But yeah, that was a blast. Go listen to it if you didn't already. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, then other than Austin getting married, my sister got married. So I was out in California for that. So Ooh. I was two weeks going nonstop. And let me tell you, going to California, then Vegas, and then having another wedding the weekend after, it hurts the wallet, <laughs> if I'm <laughs> was, being honest. I was going to say, that's not a bad life to live. But you also... Oh, it was, yeah, it was great. Like, I loved it. Every second of it was awesome. But You're now also I'm back on the ramen double overtime. Yeah, now I'm on the ramen noodle diet for like yeah. a, a month. Yeah, so. you ain't you ain't eating out in a long time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I went to the Whaley House in San Diego, which if you yeah. don't know what the Whaley House is, it's one of the most haunted, quote unquote, haunted houses in America. It's one of like the first houses out in San Diego. So we did the uh, museum tour. Me and my friend Lindsay went out there. It was really cool, honestly. It's very just funny. going in the day. It's very funny that one of the first houses in in the city haunted. Yeah, exactly. Try again. Well, you you hung people on your property. It's bound to happen, obviously. So, hmm, do you how, think? Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it goes, man. So, yes, it was a very fun time away. But uh, I now we're to, back. Uh, I need to just quiz you. Like, what kind of wines were we were we tasting? Ooh, okay, what's so, the wine palette? I for those of you that don't know, I am not a wine guy. I've like never really been a wine guy. Mm-hmm. But I drank more wine, I think, than I have in my entire life when we were in California. Because we stayed in Temecula, which is like Southern California's wine country. Mm -hmm. And so 
kind of had to drink wine. I mean, yeah, one in Rome, too, as the Californians do. So we went to one winery called Somerset Winery, and it was super good. They age all their wines in terracotta pots, which I've, I told mm-hmm. you about. But they're like one of three places in, I think, in the country that do it in the terracotta pots. So they're very niche. Yeah. And they have a line of wines called Drunk Bunny, which they take all of their old grapes that they don't use at the end of the season and they put them into giant piles outside pretty much and then they ferment it on their own so then the bunnies go and eat them and even though there's not that much alcohol it's enough for a bunny to get drunk on so they have a bunch of drunk rabbits running around right i imagine it takes two like one berry you're having a good time bunny two berries hand over your keys <laughs> exactly so yeah they over your hopping they have a very good line of wines called drunk bunny like they have red one white one mm. sparkling rosé um, but they had one called a Viognier, which is a, a white wine that was really good. That was, I think that's the one that I picked for the most of the wineries that we went to if they had one, cause it's like a nice crisp white. So that was really good. I think that was my favorite. That, gosh, I'm so jealous cause I do love wine. Yeah. Like you're, I, you're the wine guy. Here. I drink wine all the time. Um, usually not out too much and I stick to beer because wine is just Kind of a very easy drink. Yeah. And then you just have a lot of it. It's like, well, we should stay at home for this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, very jealous. You, I'll have to just like hide in your suitcase next time you travel. It's funny because like my whole family now is, keeps turning to my sister whenever we see her. Hey, you going back next year to celebrate your anniversary? Yeah. <laughs> so we're trying to get her to pretty much plan another trip for us. <laughs> Hey, that's the goal that I want for my wedding. Right. <laughs> the yeah. being a destination wedding. Yes. Uh, but it was uh, California, beautiful out in that area, like a wine country. Whew. All the sunsets are just gorgeous. And it, it was perfect weather. Lives up to the hype. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I had a great time. Do you think that there's someone listening to this podcast right now that's hearing all these gracious things about California being like, but their state income tax, yeah. <laughs> the real estate of market. Get rid of gas cars. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying I'd live out there. I'm just saying that it was fun to go. Yeah, it's there, and I imagine, or I imagine there, but like, I, I think it's probably pretty similar to New York, where amazing to visit, but would never want to live. No, there. I would at least not. like New York, New York. I've heard that the state, like out, because there is a state around New right. York. In case you were wondering, like Upper New York is just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, like think- super natural and just amazing views. I think I'd stay in upstate New York, like more towards Buffalo area. I think that'd be kind of cool. I would love to go to a Buffalo Bills game. Oh, that'd be a blast. I just want to see the fans like in person. Mm-hmm. Whew, I, don't, I, th- I don't think I could hang with them. Oh, no. Like we are in Wisconsin. We're Packers fans. Like we can hang. Yeah. I don't know if we could hang no, with them. I don't think I could. <laughs> I'm not. Ju- I'm not jumped through tables drunk at the tailgate. <laughs> I don't know if I think there's only been a handful of times I've been jumped through tables trying. Yeah, that is that is also fair. Whew, all right, but Evan, today we're coming back home. We're we're talking about Milwaukee today, or Milwaukee, the good land. And it's funny because this was a listener chosen episode. This wasn't us. Yeah. We didn't pick this one. So this was uh, picked on our Patreon poll for the month. This is technically our June listener episode. We just didn't get to it before we had all of our stuff going on and then the holiday. So we're doing it now. But this was chosen by Jerry on our poll on our Patreon. So thank you, Jerry, for the suggestion. 
Yeah, we're talking about uh, the Cryptosporidium outbreak of 1993, when a lot of people had to go poo-poo a lot. It was a time. It, it was. was a very, very dark time, brown time. <laughs> Everyone's a little, they're upset. This is when God gave his worst upset tummies yeah, exactly. to the to Midwest. To his strongest warriors. To his strongest, to his strongest brewers. Yeah, um, but every time I was researching this, uh, I had food poisoning for the first time like three weeks ago, and the whole time I was just thinking about how bad that was, and I was like, if it's anything like getting food poisoning, then I feel so bad for these people, considering almost 100 people died from no, it. So Knock on all the wood in the world, I've never gotten food poisoning. I can't imagine it, getting it. Yeah, it was terrible. But this also sounds pretty bad, so just look forward to a lot of bathroom talk. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying not to do that as much you should in the editing every single time we mention poop or pee just bleep it <laughs> so, people think it's just the dirtiest podcast yeah, of all exactly. time or i'll put like a cheering behind it like yay, yay. you did good job pooping good job pooping but there honestly isn't a ton to this story so we tried to do the best that we could to give because for more a lot of our topics we have a lot of contextual stuff that we can put in at the beginning or at the end to kind of fill out the episodes a little more but this one it's just yeah a lot of talking about how people got sick in the drugstores couldn't keep up but so <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about the history of like water filtration and how we got to where we are today considering this was the 90s, and it still was kind of rudimentary at the time. Yeah, two years before we were born. <laughs> yeah, well, three for me, but oh, almost yeah. exactly three for me. Oh, wow. Yeah, because this was April of 93. So, And in the third year of cryptosporidiosis... Jacob was born. A boy would be born. <laughs> he'll save the, the city? <laughs> <laughs> just basically, you're handing out hand sanitizer. <laughs> it's like, just make sure to... You know, wipe one more time. Yeah, I don't know. Just like boil your water. I yeah. Don't know. Right. <laughs> uh, I guess we should probably hop right in, huh? We should. Uh, I was gonna say boil on in, but that doesn't really make it. I don't sense. really know if I want to hop into this water. I will. That is true. I just don't drink a, it. I'll take a nice boat. Yeah. Not Flo a submarine. We'll float under are... this one. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot that happened while we were gone. I can't. We haven't made a sink. I guess I shouldn't say we haven't made a single uh, submarine joke, because in the time that we've been gone or have recorded, it started as, like, oh, they're, like, going down, and then people kind of poking fun at the sub, and then they died. So. Yeah, and then they imploded <laughs> yeah. in, like, a millisecond. Say what you will, that's kind of how I want to go. It honestly, probably didn't feel too much, but the lead-up, that's the terrifying part. Can you imagine someone you're in a, in that sub and you're going down and you just hear an uh oh uh, yeah exactly you, you never want to hear an uh oh well I at first when, how <laughs> can we hope because yeah. <laughs> well, at first when I was hearing about it I'm like well the, they might be okay but then the more I read they're like well they can't get out from the inside so even if they surface they're gonna run out of air in there so <sighs> sucks so let's leave the Titanic where it is yeah. <laughs> okay uh, now we can start the episode all right. So water filtration, huh? Exciting stuff, let me tell you. I have no less than three water filters in my kitchen right now. Yep. <laughs> you got one on your faucet, you got mm -hmm. one in your fridge, mm -hmm. and one on your fridge. And one, yep. We are very... <laughs> You're ready. We don't fuck around with water <laughs> we filtration. We water, water. 
But yeah, water is obviously an essential factor for human life, considering most of our body is made up of water. But it wasn't until relatively recently that water filtration became extremely efficient. Uh, As far back as thousands of years ago, people realized that just looking for clear water, like they did at the beginning, they just, if it looks clear, it's good to drink. But they realized that wasn't enough because people were still getting sick. And to compensate, people began to boil their water, the most basic way you can really filter water and make it more pure to drink to get rid of some of that disease-causing bacteria. And then after boiling it, they would allow, some people would allow that sediment that was left to settle to the bottom, and then you just skim the water off the top, and that's where you get your drinking water from. But if you're really thirsty, you just say, F it, drinking down, drinking out of the hose. <laughs> At the time, it was just out of the river. Yeah, right out of the river. A dead fish is right next to it. Probably fine. Yeah. And then eventually, Hippocrates, he developed the system of passing water through a cloth to remove as much of the sediment from the water as possible, which was kind of crazy to me that it took like over a thousand years for someone to be like, what if we pass this through something else? Not even the ancient Egyptians and all their splendor. I'm sure there had to have been someone, right? Oh, yeah. It was, but I mean, it was written hieroglyphics, so. True. (laughs) And Hippocrates is like, my name's pretty huge. They're going to be pretty huge, so might as well be me. It's very long, and also I invented (laughs) a thing or two. So that was once he developed the filtration of putting water through a cloth after boiling it, it was the way to go for centuries, literally, until the late 1600s rolled around, because he was around in like the 500 BC era. So over two millennia of time period of just putting it in a hot pot and then putting it through a cloth. That adds so much time to your day. (laughs) It does, really. But I guess what do you got going on? That is true. They really weren't up to much <laughs> they weren't playing video games no no they had they had the time yeah what do you think the attention span of people was back oh, then? it had to be way long like you're working on projects like building projects that take years so i feel like you kind of have to have patience yeah just to get water it's a two-step process well you got to get it from the river oh, you have to yeah. bring it home you have to put it into a new a new like pot or something else mm-hmm. to store it and then you have to take it out, boil it, and then use it. You know what? I'm out. I'm out on going back in time. I know we've had this conversation plenty of times. I'm out. I will live right now. Yep. So it was around this time that in the 1600s that two big steps were made in the process of water filtration. The first was that a multi-stage filter was introduced for the first time and the microscope was invented, which meant that we can now take a closer look at the, par- the bacteria and parasites in the water, as well as remove more of them with that new multi-stage filter. Once the calendar then flipped into the 1700s, a man named Joseph Amy patented a filter that was made from wool, sponge, and charcoal layers, which would purify drinking water even more. And it was the first time that home water filters became more readily available in the year 1750. Yeah, so we're talking, like, was that now close to 2,000 years before they decided to throw in some rocks in the mix with charcoal? (laughs) Try some other stuff. Yeah, what else can we do to get this water clean? Also, I can't imagine what it was like seeing the critters that are floating and drinking water with a microscope. Being like, so that's what killed, like, everyone. A lot of people. dysentery. (laughs) Mm, I wonder how many people are going to have trouble with this little guy on the way west in the Americas. Yeah, right. 
So for about 100 years, that process was then good enough for most places again. But in 1854, there was a major cholera outbreak that rolled through London and proved to a lot of the other major cities that they needed to take their water treatment more seriously to avoid such an issue in their towns. And this wasn't before, like there was other treatment facilities that had begun to spring up, like Scotland had one, Paris had one. But this outbreak was the one that proved we need to make sure that we have like state of the art for the time facilities. Right. You need to invest in this or else people are going to die very fast and in a crazy amount of number. Yeah. I, I'm starting to feel bad for London. Like they always have these major outbreaks or just like giant fires. Their freaking bridge is always falling down. Yeah, man. They got problems. Yeah. The Vikings targeted them especially. Like, yeah. This sucks. Yeah. That's, it all started when the Romans showed up and named the city. Yep. <laughs> that's when it started. So the next step after the cholera outbreak was to introduce chlorine and ozone to clean water, which advanced the techniques of earlier water treatment facilities in places like Scotland. And they had already begun to use a more advanced two-step process. It was basically going back to the boiling and letting it settle. So they did that on a larger scale and let the bigger sediment settle out on its own. And then they passed that mostly clear water through sand and charcoal filters, and then it would get sent out and be used in wherever it was going. I wonder if there were any, like, you know, how basically every single, or just about every single advancement in technology nowadays, there's a group of people who are just adamantly against it for no reason. Like, yeah. from medical discoveries to... AI to machinery, etc. Do you think there were like anti-clean water folks? Probably. Like anti-filtered water? I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, most people were drinking wine and beer for the longest time. So once they actually had drinkable water, I'm sure there was people that were like, ah, you're not going to get me on this water kick. Yeah, the town drunks were just upset. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, how come all of my beer is getting more expensive? Yeah, all my drinking buddies are gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The bar's empty. But following their lead, more and more places began to build their own dedicated treatment facilities around the world and implement all of the new treatment processes. And as a result, diseases like cholera and typhoid, the outbreaks declined significantly. Send them by World War II, desalination equipment was being implemented so that the troops could have more access to drinking water. And if you don't know what desalination equipment is, it just takes the salt content out of the water so that you can actually drink it. And at the same time, the U.S. Public Health Service set the first ever standards for drinking water, which led to even more advanced filtration processes in the mid to late 50s. Now, keep in mind, that's another pretty large gap of advance or lack of advancement in the water filtration system. We went from the 1700s to World War II. Yeah, and the only thing that changed was they added sand in addition to charcoal. Because it's much. coarse and it gets everywhere. Exactly. I mean, we hate it. I hate it. <laughs> but I guess it's good for something. Right, yeah. Cleaning up the water. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't until almost 1960 that we had the first ever standards for drinking water. So that's not a long time ago. Like the plane was invented before oh, we way before we, we dropped had... an atomic bomb before we <laughs> before we had standards for drinking water. It was, we almost landed on the moon beforehand. <laughs> like, okay, that might be some of the hardest I've laughed. <laughs> we dropped, we split 
the very like what you the, the, ba- the building block of life he <laughs> split it in half and nuked two cities <laughs> we but- developed a pyro bomb that eroded tokyo and then we were like we should probably set some standards for what we put in our bodies and then we were like man am i pooping <laughs> Oh man! By the way, I just read like a harrowing article that was written the year after Hiroshima. Oh, and it was just—it was like about six of the survivors and their personal stories. Man, let's never do that again. <laughs> yeah, how do you just move on? I well, I really want to do an episode where we actually like dive into oh, yeah. the aftermath of Hiroshima and mm-hmm. stuff. But man, is that going to be a rough episode? <laughs> There probably won't be as many ha-has or no, he-he's. It's going to be like a, a 731, unit 731 type 5, because it's going to be pretty depressing. Except it's going to be about us. <laughs> we <laughs> won. Yeah. So in the late spring of 1993, we're, we're going back to Milwaukee now. In the late spring of 1993, Milwaukee was a city of just over 600,000 people, and the city was just recently the host in 1993, not like recently as of now. But they were the hosts to the NCAA hockey tournament, the men's hockey tournament, in which, I looked this up, Jim Montgomery of Maine scored three goals in just four minutes and 35 seconds to come from behind and beat Lake Superior, with two of those goals getting scored in 74 seconds back-to-back. That is pretty... Set the record for the fastest hat trick at the time. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And that was all on non-filtered ice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At the Bradley Center. Yeah. <laughs> that ancient relic of the past. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that was a long time ago. And also this is pre-masks or like helmets for hockey. So, yeah. you know. That <laughs> they were going hard out there. Not a lot of teeth. But I just thought that was interesting because I, I looked it up to see like when it was. And it was literally like two days before this outbreak started. So I'm sure some of those guys went home and had a bad time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> On the morning of April 5th, 1993, the chief virologist of the local public health committee in Milwaukee began to receive calls for a high number of gastrointestinal illnesses reported in Milwaukee. Shortly after, the director of nursing informed him that some of the pharmacies in the area were beginning to sell out of anti-diarrhea medication. So, very quickly, it already is having a significant impact on the community as a whole. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like that just swept right through. Couple days, yeah. You've heard of the run on banks, not the run on <laughs> yeah. the run on pharmacies. Uh the crew then the public health crew then called around to local hospital labs and emergency rooms and very quickly discovered that there were a lot of people coming to the ER with really bad tummy aches. They were God's bravest warriors. It took a little while to realize that the source of the problem was the drinking water, since the health department wasn't aware of recent complaints regarding the appearance of the local tap water over the past few days. So basically, nobody from the health department got communicated to that, hey, the water's looking kind of dirty, all these people are getting sick, maybe there's a connection there. Right, yeah. You really you really do have to just eyeball it in a lot of these cases. Like, it looks fine to drink. Yeah. And I mean, the amount of cloudiness in water before it's unsafe for someone to drink is pretty high yeah considering uh, all things considered like for the most part you're probably going to be fine even if it is a little dirty but 
mean, and at this time, the it's called a turbidity is what the mm. the scientific term is. We're getting into science today, folks. And it's not space. <laughs> it's not space. Uh, but the turbidity of the water was still within the acceptable federal ranges, but it started to look cloudy, and obviously people would rather have clear water at home. So that was where the complaints were really coming from. I don't know how many people were complaining, but someone was, and it got to a point where then they finally heard about it and kind of made the connection. Probably for the best that people kept on complaining yeah, about exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. Especially when everyone's starting to like poo themselves. Right. Like, can these two things be related? Maybe. I'm going to see more evidence. So both the North and South water treatment plants in Milwaukee were eventually contacted by the health department, but the only change that they showed in their normal readings was that there was a slightly higher turbidity reading over the past few days or the past month. But it was, as I mentioned, still within the federal limits, so there wasn't really anything weird about it. Surveys were then done of local microbiology labs, and that were sent out to find the cause of the illness, obviously, but they were only able to confirm the fact that there was something causing this epidemic, but no one knew what it was. There's something up here. <laughs> so basically, they gave them nothing new. Something smells fishy. Yeah, there's, there's no clues for the Scooby-Doo gang to go off of here. That is just picturing Scooby-Doo <laughs> in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Scooby-Doo in the bad water. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, school attendance in the local area schools was dwindling, and some of the staff shortages were so severe that some schools even were prompted to close for a short time period because they didn't have enough people. And with this, the emergency rooms were just getting overwhelmed with the amount of people that were coming in with the same illness it looked it from all appearances, was the same thing. The team from the health department scrambled for two days with no answers, even publicly denying that the cause was connected to the water supply, No. until on April 7th, the cause of the problem was finally discovered, a little parasite known as Cryptosporidium. A local infectious disease physician called the public health labs with his findings of a single case of cryptosporidium that fit, fit the symptoms of all the illnesses that were going around. And at the same time, the Milwaukee Health Department lab was able to identify multiple other cases in their own labs, finding the same cryptosporidium in the stool samples that they had. They probably had to go through so many different stool oh. samples. That's, that's a shitty job. <laughs> Nice. I had to get one in. Yeah. So, but sploosh. <laughs> it is funny that they, uh, I think it was on the 6th of April, they made the statement saying it's not related to the water. And then on the 7th, they got like four or five confirmed cases of a waterborne illness and then had to backpedal immediately. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel is like, damn it. Yeah. Well, and then the guy that I read an interview for who was part of the public health committee during this, he said, the public was a little mad at us, even though like the readings were safe for drinking water for one day. It's like you <laughs> literally said it wasn't water related yeah. for a day. <laughs> <laughs> so I get it. At the time that these samples were finally identified, the local water treatment facilities and labs weren't routinely testing for cryptosporidium, so it went unnoticed. But by the night of April 7th, after it was finally figured out what the problem was, which was almost a full three days after the first notice of something wrong, the mayor of Milwaukee issued an advisory for people to boil any water that they were going to use, effective for 10 days, while they shut down the Southern Water Treatment Plant 
to assess what the problem was because that was where the major outbreak was coming from they tracked it down and they handed out bags of sand and charcoal <laughs> yeah. and assorted medieval tools to create at-home filters this is the one time we're getting coal from santa would have come in handy right there were some bad kids in milwaukee <laughs> that just had a surplus on coal <laughs> they're like can we borrow that yeah so the way the water treatment plants were set up in milwaukee is that either plant was built to be able to handle the workload for pretty much the entirety of Milwaukee on their own. However, if both were active, the southern one would primarily service the southern part of Milwaukee, while the northern part would service the northern areas of Milwaukee, which it just helped to lessen the burden on either one, and I would assume just allowed them to run more efficiently and run for a longer longevity Mm -hmm. than if it was just one. Since the illness was born mostly from the southern plant, people clustered on the south side of Milwaukee were getting sick at an almost twice the rate of those in the northern part. So it was very notably worse in the southern part of Milwaukee. Once the boil order was in place, school and businesses had to respond in kind, with customers going to local diners declining to drink the water despite promises from the staff that it was all boiled. Or with school systems having to tragically throw away 68,000 servings of jello that may have been contaminated. Where do you even put all that? Probably just in the coolers at the various schools. That's so much jello. It's just getting rid of it. It's just some. Well, and don't you have to boil the water before you make the jello? Yeah, that's so, literally step one of jello. So I was like, I, I feel like it probably would have been fine. I ain't but a scientist. But. I don't work here. So. <laughs> but the news media pretty quickly jumped on to help out and kept the people informed, as well as a phone bank set up at a local TV station, which fielded questions from the public. The health department themselves held press conferences to provide information in order to help out, but at the end of the day, people were still naturally upset. Yeah, oh yeah, uh, people were pissed. Yeah. <laughs> Despite the fact that everything was within the federal limits, the labs in the area were not ready for this type of outbreak. Out of the 14 labs, which were later investigated in this area about the outbreak, only two out of the 14 routinely checked for cryptosporidium. Mm, that will that will do it yeah <laughs> that's not good i mean granted cryptosporidium is still like a relatively new thing i think it was 76 was where it was first officially recognized as like an issue right so i mean it's only been around for like 15 years officially yeah so i not testing for it, I guess I get. You can, yeah, you can kind of see some of the leeway now, but I'm sure at the time someone heard that stat was like, two out of 14. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not good. No, like, not a good percentage. Right. <laughs> All of those 14 labs only had guidelines to test stool samples for Salmonella, Shigella, which is, I think, a type of food poisoning. And I'm going to butcher this one. Campylobacter. Those were, the, oh. those were the three minimum that they had to test for initially. It's very concerning that there were only three that they had to test yeah, for. Yeah, exactly. I like, feel like that number should be up. Minimum requirement. Considering there's 500 or more that we test for regularly now. <laughs> 
Oh, but was, I, but after, we probably were exposed to many of them as babies. Oh yeah, I mean, shrink it from the hoses, man. We, we oh. were playing with water, I guess. But in high school, there was uh, we there was a runoff valve thing that came out of the side of a cornfield that was right by our, by our baseball field. So during practices, like we would just drink out of that, <laughs> and we called it Jesus juice because it was. <laughs> You're getting all those good GMOs. (laughs) Literally, there was probably so much pesticide and everything, but it was, I kid you not, it was the best tasting water I've ever had in my life. Did you like it noticeably not get sick as much because your body was just. I was just an Iron Man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My body can survive anything. Yeah. But after April 7th, all 14 of these labs in the area began to test regularly for cryptosporidium as well. I guess it just took a bunch of people to get sick for it, but I, that's how it usually goes, isn't it? Right. It's usually the reaction happens well past the yeah. the point where we need to change things. Kind of like, I don't know, maybe building a sub to go see the Titanic. Hey! Maybe put some fail-safes in beforehand. Don't use a... Listen to James Cameron next time. Don't use a Mario Kart steering wheel as the (laughs) steering wheel for the sub. I saw a picture of from the Ocean Gate page on Facebook, and it was a hand-drawn, pretty much cartoon of what the sub was going to look like with arrows pointing to it. It's like, yeah, well, it looked like that. There's just so much money that went into it. How did they not like cross some T's and dot some I's? I don't know, man. But I just read something getting off topic for a second. Uh, there is, I don't remember where he's a professor at, but he's an astrology professor and he was tracking a meteorite that came into Earth like way hotter than norm, like normal ones do and found the record or the, the remnants of it under the water. And a guy from Ocean Gate who had left because he wasn't being listened to about safety precautions was working with this professor to make him a sub that he could go down and get the remnants of this meteorite from. So it was weird how it all kind of came full circle. That really did. You can't fire the... It's a bad look to fire the safety guy. It is. It's a very bad look. That's kind of what Elon Musk did with Twitter, so... Twitter also is just wild now because he's limiting the amount of tweets that you can see. Yeah. But then the advertisers were like, hey, pal. Um, That's how we get money. We pay you yeah. to show our tweets. So now everything's just a, It's it literally has just been an ad or the Ocean Gate sub. Yeah. It's the only much. tweets I've seen. Yep. Or people complaining about the tweet limit. That and... The Bucks resent Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez. Woo. And Brooke Lopez's brother. Oh. Yeah, we got both of them now. Twins. We're collecting the sets. <laughs> Speaking of Milwaukee, uh, retroactively testing over 700 samples from the beginning of March 1993 to the end of May 1993 showed that almost 80% of the samples tested were positive for cryptosporidium with phone numbers given to some of these patients for a case study. That's kind of where they got the initial numbers from. 700 samples. Yeah. And almost all, like, 80% of them tested positive. That's a lot. Ew. Yep. It makes it so much worse, too, that it's like, it's a parasite. Yeah. It's just a living little critter. Well, and these stool samples, let's just say they're not solid. So, yeah, it makes it a lot less fun. 
it, it somehow actually did make it less fun. Yep, it's not. It's not good. No. So these were known as the lab-diagnosed patients, the ones where they actively tested the samples and got numbers back from that, while there was also what were considered clinical-diagnosed patients, which were those who were randomly selected to be called and interviewed about whether they had watery shits since the 1st of March. Very funny that a scientist who had to get a doctorate, most likely... Had to make a call, be like, how the poop's going? (laughs) And it's just a randomly selected phone number, too. Like, they didn't have any system for it. It was just random numbers. And so you get a call from some guy. Hey, this is Dr. Callahan. Um, We recently took a sample from you. We just want to know, how you doing? I mean, still not solid. Okay, well, thank you. I have 699 more of these calls to make. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Your life sounds worse than mine. <laughs> yeah. But they didn't even have samples for these people. They just asked them, hey, how are the bowel movements? <laughs> and then if they said bad, oh, you have it. <laughs> Mark, yeah. check, add to list. By the end of the outbreak, initial estimates put the number of those affected by the disease at just over 400,000. That's a pretty staggering number. But later studies show that that number was too low. So probably closer to 500,000 in a city that the population was officially 620,000 people. Those 120,000 people were <laughs> yeah. some lucky Iron guys. stomachs. Oh my goodness, yeah. They, they, they were the ones drinking from cornfield yeah. runoff. <laughs> you know, I got this tapeworm, but he's kind of taking care of everything for me. So yeah, it's the best diet of all keeps time. Keeps me skinny. I have a tapeworm that keeps out the, <laughs> the cryptosporidiosis. Yeah, exactly. I can't get rid of him, but... It just slowly devolves into putting more and more creatures in your stomach Ugh. to get rid of them. <laughs> it's just <laughs> It's like, uh, have you ever seen Total Recall? No. Oh, okay, never mind. You're not going to get it, but there's a guy that has like a person in his stomach pretty much. Oh, so, I'm, I'm familiar with like, like the image. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. So that's what it made me think of. You just get that guy and then he'll take care of everything for you. <laughs> Of those over 400, maybe closer to 500,000 people affected, 69, nice, died as a result of the illness, so not nice. Not as nice. No, and it's not as fun because nearly all of the deaths were from immunocompromised or immunosuppressed individuals, more specifically in people who had HIV or AIDS. I think it was 93% of the people who had died from this outbreak had AIDS, so... But it was, that's, the 80s was when it started popping up, and it really wasn't taken seriously for a while, so no one was really looking out for them and didn't know how to deal with it, so it's a very sad circumstance that it just happened to work out that way. But A study done in 1994 found that of nearly 500 study patients, 100% of them suffered from diarrhea, with almost 100% of those having watery diarrhea. And almost as many suffering from abdominal pains, fatigue, and loss of appetite, as is to be expected. The average duration of the symptoms was found to be anywhere from 5 days to 12 days, depending on the person, with the average number of bowel movements per day ranging from 8 to 19. Honestly, shoot me. It sounds so bad. I'd rather be just get it over with. And you're just so dehydrated the whole time and just terrible 12 days 12 times 19 do that icky math oh like like over 200 times in the bathroom 
Yeah, I'm offing myself. I am You're, taking the red pill. This is like the original panic buying the toilet paper, but you actually need it. <laughs> oh, God. There's probably an actual panic buying of toilet paper. I'm yeah. i to counter um, this. It was the diarrhea medication was all gone, and the toilet paper was all gone. That's terrible. Gross. <laughs> Ew. Patients would exhibit fevers of over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, along with multiple days of vomiting and aches. And a large number of people reported weight loss of anywhere from 1 to 40 pounds. 40 pounds? Yeah. That's like you're in 19 years. Wow, you are like on the brink of death. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're getting rid of all of your water, all of your food, and you're not eating anything for potentially up to like 12 days. So yeah. you're going you're gonna to look good. Yeah, you're coming out <laughs> there a whole different person. And the average age of those affected was found to be around the age of 40. So it affected a lot more of the older population than the younger population, surprisingly. Due to the lack of a quick response, the outbreak was probably worse than it needed to be. Initially, local physicians gave a simple diagnosis of the stomach flu for most of the patients and then just kind of moved on because... You don't really test for cryptosporidium originally, at least in this time. You're not just like, yeah, it's probably that. Let's test for it. There's a little critter, yeah. I mean, 12, or, yeah, 12 out of the 14 labs didn't even test for it regularly, just routinely. Yeah, so, to begin with. Yeah, to call it out is pretty rare. In addition, the higher turbidity of the water should have been a clear indicator that the illness was likely waterborne, despite the fact that the parasite was found to have been prevalent prior to the spike in the cloudiness in the water. However, with the water reaching levels of nearly 2 NTU, which is how the clarity and turbidity of water is measured, NTU stands for some scientific thing, Hmm. but it should have been a pretty clear sign that something was wrong because normal NTU readings should be around 0.3 0.3 or less. And after the outbreak, the southern plant set up a failsafe which shuts down the process if that number exceeds 0.3 NTU. So getting close to 2 is a very big spike. 2 NTU, I'm gonna poo. I hated that nice. as much as you did. That should have been the slogan. <laughs> no one's gonna know what NTU means. I don't even know what NTU means. So <laughs> they're like, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> do we? You can cut this if you want. But do we need to put the listeners on suspension? <laughs> yeah, we might have to. <laughs> I think we need to. We put ourselves on too long of a suspension. <laughs> yeah, well, and then, this is and then what we happens. have to come back and talk about this. <laughs> not that I'm mad at him for picking this, but it's just like it's not, it's not our usual. When the dads are away, the listeners will play. <laughs> yeah. I guess we gave them the power. They used yeah, it. Yeah. But I I looked up like what a uh, good NTU number should be, and it's usually supposed to be around 0. 0.2 or 0. 0.3, hmm. and that's what you, your average tap water will look like in a, a normal city. And it's crazy because in underdeveloped countries or countries that, without as much resources, they say the safe number is five. Oh, God. Yeah, that's how much <laughs> it can vary because they just don't have the resources. That's very interesting with... When you speak of like under underdeveloped countries, that just made me immediately think of radon. Yeah, like radon readings. I'm sure a safe number. I believe for in the states, it's like I don't know. But regardless, like there's probably just no paying attention to those kinds of things, which probably lead to a drastic amount of deaths, including I think, more uptick in cancers and 
these types of things where you're just pooping all the time. Yeah, right. That's, that is tough. Yeah, it's it just really shows like how privileged we are where we are. So I mean, you know, we just celebrated Fourth of July last week. I'm happy with being. Yeah, here. exactly. <laughs> uh, radon levels are supposed to be four picocuries per liter or lower. Is that a real word? It's a real. It's real word. Curies, I, I think, is some radiation thing because the Curies kind of found stuff about radiation out. So oh. they got named after them. I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I quick Google searched it, and that's what came up. So. We are really out of our elements on this one. <laughs> we are not scientists or historians. <laughs> Uh, as far as where the cryptosporidium in this case originated, it's pretty much anyone's guess. Possible sources have been put forth, such as cattle along the rivers which flow into the Milwaukee's harbors, or slaughterhouses in the area, or just human sewage in the area. And since the spring rains in 1993 swelled the rivers, in addition to all of the snow melting and all the snow runoff, it's possible that the parasites just traveled into Lake Michigan that way, with the higher water levels and more access to carrying sediment with it. So I think I do remember like an old wives' tale how it was the butcher shops. There's a lot of times it was, yeah. Like just... I, specifically with this case too i think i remember like several of the olds telling me oh, just yeah. a one-off comment about butcher shops in milwaukee like you're gonna get are you gonna get sick i mean it's, it's all coming together now it's it probably it, could happen history <laughs> provides context to your wacky uncles and aunts yeah, talking exactly. about, about butcher shops all those conspiracies that you heard about the butcher shops are true yeah we're anti-meat big meat yeah right. Ew. <laughs> What is odd, however, about this case is that in many of the crypto outbreaks, like throughout history, a water treatment plant will have a mechanical breakdown of its filtration system. And that's kind of how the parasites get through, even though the water stays in the legal limit. But in Milwaukee, that didn't really happen. There was no mechanical failure or anything. The main theory is that the way they clean the filters was they used backwashed water and then used that to like clean the filters and then filtered it again but that probably led to higher concentration of bacteria that survived the process and that practice was later discontinued so right there's no chemicals involved to actually clean the thing right it's just watering out the filters pretty much so (laughs) it's taking a hose and putting your finger over the over the right well and if there is cryptosporidium in the water that you're already filtering through and then you put it back through those filters again and you have clean water that comes after if those are stuck in those filters it's probably just going to carry through again right so but whatever the cause the cryptosporidium concentration in the water in 1993 was much higher than it was first believed so somewhere along the line it crept in there and made itself at home and we didn't catch it for too long yeah so that's why it got bad Despite this historic outbreak of waterborne illness being so bad, it did have a few positives in the end. The mayor and common council of Milwaukee committed over $400 million towards infrastructure for the Milwaukee Waterworks, which focused on ensuring high-quality water. New technology was brought in, and closer monitoring assessed the current systems to ensure that they were working properly. And the facilities in Milwaukee were renovated over the next five years immediately following the outbreak. And now Milwaukee's at the forefront of water quality and testing in the United States. They really are. Like, Milwaukee water is 
which is a very weird thing that I just know that offhand. Yeah. But Milwaukee water is by far, I believe, the best in the state. Yeah. <laughs> like, if not the best in the country, or like one of the best. It's in the country. one of the best in the nation now. Yeah. yeah. At least during like the mid two thousand or mid twenty tens, it was right. right when the article was written mm-hmm. that I read. But the Milwaukee Waterworks and the Milwaukee Health Department also formed an interagency Clean Water Advisory Council, otherwise known as IACWEC. <laughs> which tra- <laughs> it's a lot of ducking. <laughs> <laughs> IACWEC, which tracks and responds to water-related public health issues. And at the national level, the CDC and EPA called a meeting in September of 1994 in which 40 states discussed specific topics about cryptosporidium and set up task forces to help with the issue going forward. On a worldwide level, this event has prompted improvements in water quality treatment processes and regulations for public health, with new studies being conducted constantly to help with testing and identifying more and more waterborne parasites and viruses all the time. So, in the end, it was kind of good, I guess. Yeah, some relative good came out of it. People realized we need to invest money in infrastructure and make sure that people don't get sick. And it did kind of work out in the end. I mean, I guess we were the cholera outbreak in London of the 1850s in modern times. You're welcome, world. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome, London. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) You you didn't have to take this one. We got this. <laughs> we'll, we'll, handle, we'll handle this one time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's the uh, 1993 cryptosporidiosis outbreak of Milwaukee, hmm. Wisconsin. Very interesting. A story close to home. It is. Doesn't affect us at all, though. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I guess we have clean water now. 30 years ago. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Shout out to the sick, the nice amount of people that had to suffer and die. Yeah. Unfortunately. So something changed. But yeah, now we enjoy clean drinking water throughout the southeast Wisconsin area. And it's a good thing that there has never been any other major health crises since. Do not know what you were referring to. (laughs) None. None at all. And we don't even need charcoal anymore. Yeah, exactly. We don't don't, need to dig up beaches for sand. I don't need to boil my water in a clay pot out in the backyard to make sure that it's safe to drink. That's... Just like I, I get annoyed when I have to boil water to make noodles. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, like a stove that I just have to turn to. I don't even have to make the fire or anything. <laughs> it's like you wake up in the middle of the night, like man, I kind of have dry mouth right now. <laughs> you have to go boil some water. Just at a cool night, of it. taking peyote with your buddies. Yeah, <laughs> you can't get clean drinking water. Uh, Holy cow! I'm surprised that wasn't a priority before then, considering people were. Pretty drunk all the time. Oh, and yeah, doing all sorts of psychedelics and stuff back in the day. Mm. Eat some water when you do that. Get dehydrated. Not that I would know. Speaking of psychedelics, if you want... <laughs> <laughs> we have a brand new life. Yeah. Um, but if you want to continue the conversation, you can find us on all social medias. You can find us on Twitter at Jacob from Wisco. That's Jacobs. And then myself at Whatevskis. You can find our... Uh, not corporate account you can find our <laughs> podcast account I at hope you don't find our corporate account right at gems underscore history then on instagram youtube facebook and tiktok all at gems of history podcast absolutely and if you want to get in touch with us at our email it's just gems of history podcast at gmail.com 
Uh, I got excited today because I was like, man, we're in July already, which means October's coming up, which means we get to do spooky stories again. So if you want to, if you're a new listener and you haven't heard the process that we do for that, we just like to take your personal scary stories and read them on the show. So if you want to start sending them in now, that's totally fine. The more, the more, the merrier. (laughs) Yes. Please send them in now. We have had some of our best Honestly, some of our best conversations, some of our best like episodes, just simply reading your guys's stories that I'm shocked have actually happened. It's so fun, and it's just like gives us a way to connect with you guys a little more. So I think it's fun on more than one front, and it's just scary stories are fun. Yeah, and you don't even have to sign for Patreon to submit exactly. Them. But but we would love if you did. Yeah, you should do that too. Uh, also, Australia. The UK is catching up to you as our second biggest listener base. So tell your friends to keep listening to us. Get that number back up, guys. You're yeah. slacking. UK is catching up. You can't. You can't let, let the, the. You can't let your <laughs> original enslavers catch up to you like that. Yeah. Do we need to go over the 19 crimes again? Yeah. Go back and listen to the the Catulpa rescue, and, yeah. and then tell your friends about it. Absolutely. All right, guys. That's all we got for you guys this week. We will be back next week. Uh, we are not entirely sure what we're going to be doing next week yet. We're still planning, trying to plan something for a special episode. So we'll see if that works out. But if not, we'll give you just uh, another fun episode with the boys. Don't you worry. It will be fun. All right, guys. We love you. Thank you for listening and stay polished. <laughs>